I am uh, very happy to be here with you. Um, as was mentioned, I got here via Indiana, Indiana, uh, Camp Horizon, Fort Myers, and I've uh, been bouncing around a little bit. I have truly enjoyed uh, my visit. Florida is a lot colder than I used to remember. <laughs> I woke up the other morning there and uh, I got out of bed and my bare feet hit the floor and I was looking for shoes and socks and everything else. It's different, you know. I remember when it used to be hot in Florida. I thought I was going to get some of that. So, well, today uh, I want to give you a little update on the work that we're doing uh, in Korea and some new doors that have opened up for us. And uh, also to share with you a little bit as as the Lord allows, as time allows, uh, on, on Hebrews. And uh, we're going to look at a portion of Hebrews, where, chapter 9, and just a small section of it. But uh, as we approach it, I'll... I'll kind of give you my framework for how I how I looked at this and the, my perspective on it, and, and hopefully it resonates with you as well. But uh, so we're in Korea, as you know, we were commended to Korea back in 2012, and we have uh, been there, uh, progressing. Uh, initially, we were there. We were in a uh, an already established meeting, Noryangjin Assembly. The Lord put it on our hearts to establish a meeting that would be a uh, English language speaking meeting that would have expats and international married couples and things like that. A very Korean, uh, I, I should, it was uh, a lot of Koreans, but a lot of expats as well. But the, the language uh, that we chose to use as our primary language was uh, the, the, the English language. And we felt that this would be uh, an improvement because in the Korean assembly, and I say this not to disparage them or criticize them, but they're very ethnocentric. They're very Korean-centric. And so it makes it difficult for an Indian brother to come and to be able to stand up and share, whether in English or Hindi or Malayalam or whatever whatever other language, because it's difficult to have have that sort of international or... And, uh, how do we how do we say it? you know uh, sometimes the emphasis there is on uniformity rather than unity and you know God doesn't want us to be uniform he wants us to be united but he doesn't want us to be uniform everyone's saying the same thing thinking the same thing doing the same thing wearing the same clothes that's that's Pharaoh you remember, when the Lord talked about building an altar, He said, you will build an altar of what? On hewn stone. They're regular stones. And some are big, some are little, some are round, some are weird shaped, kind of like me. But there's, there's, there's a lot of variation. And, and the assembly, as I look out, I see a lot of variation. And I think that's a good sign. Because if we were, if we all had only one complexion, if we all had only one idea, one thought, one perspective, you know, it's a rather boring existence. You know, sometimes, you know, it, it is troubling when somebody contends with us constantly about some things that are fundamental. But, you know, when, when for instance, Brother Malcolm shares something and he brings it from his, his experience, like from his job or from other experience, he's sharing a unique perspective on things that we all know. And they're good for us to hear from his perspective. Um, 
Uh, the matter of fact, one of the first few meetings that I, I, I was here at, at Boulevard, Bob Anderson, I saw him in the parking lot helping people. Some were older, and he was helping them out. And then during the breaking of bread, I saw Bob stand up and share. And, you know, I said, what kind of a place is this where even the janitors and stuff share? Amazing. But it is beautiful to see the different perspectives, right? The different perspectives. Some Somebody, you know, Bob Anderson's perspective, right? Tim Stafford's perspective. And, and other people's perspectives. And it's the same thing. We're looking at the same Lord Jesus. We're, 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 we're worshiping, talking about and the same Lord Jesus, but it's a different perspective. And it gives us a fuller picture of who He is. But if we're simply all saying the same thing, thinking the same thing, doing the same thing, then it becomes a rather narrow focus of, of who the Lord is and what it is that He has done. Anyways. So we thought that creating or establishing a meeting uh, where we could bring in a variety of, of uh, cultures uh, and languages uh, that uh, we might have some, uh, we might be able to have a work there that would really support. When, uh, when a meeting, whether it's language or whatever, when there are barriers to the exercise of the priesthood, uh, that becomes a problem. And so one of the thoughts we had as we established Itaewon Bible Chapel was the idea that uh, there would be none of those cultural roadblocks. Um, the Lord has been good. Uh, we have not grown significantly in numbers. As a matter of fact, right now we've kind of gone from what would have been our high of about 30 each Sunday. Now we've got about 11 or 12. And what happens, because we're in a very transient community, uh, sometimes you know we'll have a lot and sometimes we'll have a few. And because of COVID, which some of you are suffering you know, from that as well, you know, some of the meetings here too are suffering from that as well, but uh, we just haven't been able to recoup <laughs> our numbers. But uh, those that remain are faithful and continue to press on uh, to serve the Lord. So, and grow, uh, in, in uh, our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. So, uh, while in Korea, Yoli and I often made trips to the Philippines, primarily because Yoli is Filipina and because uh, she had family there. But, uh, in a meeting we had, uh, yesterday with, uh, uh, the elders, I reminded them that initially when we went to Korea, we thought we were going to the Philippines. We went to Korea to see Yoli's sister in Korea, and then we're on our way to the Philippines. When we got to Korea, it, it was, Tim, stay in Korea. We want, you, uh, we want you here in Korea. And they really encouraged us to find a way to stay and minister in Korea. We went on to the Philippines, and while we were there, it just seemed that there was really no venue, no opening for us to be able to uh, be of any practical use in the in the Philippines. Uh, very, you know, the 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 assemblies there were established many many years ago, and uh, you know, God has gifted them with uh, with with uh, brothers uh, who are who are able to teach, and so it didn't seem to be a lot of work uh, in the communities that we that we visited. So, with the encouragement from the elders in Korea to apply for and and see if we couldn't get a visa. Uh, we were given a visa for Korea. We had uh, at Boulevard the elders here approved, 
And, uh, you know, before the Lord, we, we moved believing it was his will, and we were off to Korea. But making several of these trips to the Philippines, am I boring you yet? Is it? No? Okay. All right. So making several of these trips to the Philippines, we began to realize that the areas that we saw in Manila and in Baguio and in those other areas are more metropolitan, more touristy areas, that that's where the work was going on full force. But when we went to an area where Yoli lived in a place called Bongabon, it was, it's, it's, it, the poverty there is just, it's just incredible. And, there are a few Catholic churches around and a few uh, Mormon churches, I, what are they, churches or tabernacles or whatever they call them, and some of those around. But there isn't really a good fundamental uh, Bible teaching church in the area. So it started us thinking a little bit, is there something we can do here? So years progressed and little opportunities opened up. Uh, we were able to buy a piece of land, a couple of acres uh, of land, and we had no idea the future, what the future held for that, but it was, we were able, we had the means, and uh, we were able to do it, and we bought this uh, little two-acre piece of land. And when COVID hit, I'm kind of fast-forwarding a little bit, but when COVID hit, we were, we were forced, so to speak, to start Zooming, you know. So in order to have a, a well-attended meeting, we needed to make sure that people were able to attend via Zoom. It dawned on us, if we can Zoom in Korea locally, maybe we can Zoom something in the Philippines too. And so we started to get a good turnout in the Philippines. And so we thought, you know, you know, not only is there a spiritual need in the Philippines, but there's also, you know, those, those physical, those practical needs that they have. You know, some of the people work there all day long for $2. Now, you might think that $2 in the Philippines, it'll go a long way. The, the things that they have to buy are not that less expensive or not that less expensive than what we have to buy here. Bread, milk, eggs, those kinds of things. These are staples, right? And so uh, $2 doesn't go a long way. And uh, so they'll have several of their family working, and so maybe four or five of them are working. They're able to make $10 a day. But it's, it's a full day. It's not eight hours, you know. You go there in the morning and you, can, you don't come home until night and you come home with your $2 and you're happy to have it because you can buy rice, you can get soy sauce. Sometimes you can't get soy sauce because it's a little bit too expensive so you have rice and you have salt. You know, so anyways, we thought perhaps there's, there's a, some practical things we could do. And so what we began to think is, is there, a, is there a man there who has some kind of farming agricultural aptitude and one of uh, Yoli's nephews, his name is Rodel, Rodel Mariano, he, he had some experience. And we talked to him about what it is that he might be able to do. And he says, well, if I had chickens, this is what I could do. So we thought, how, how much are chickens? You can get a chicken for about a buck. So we thought, we can get him a dozen chickens or so. So we got him a dozen chickens. And he did quite well with them. Now, unfortunately, there was a... There was, a, there was a typhoon, and that some of the chicks that had hatched, that they had, they, they lost them, but they kept some of them, and they're still going on with chickens. But I said, Rodell, I said, apart from chickens, is there anything else? Well, if we had goats. So we got a few goats for them. And we're hoping this year uh, to be able to get some pigs for him. But it's working. 
Uh, it's small. Uh, it's certainly, they aren't making a lot of money. But there's like a glimmer of hope. It's a, it's a, it's a very narrow little pinprick of a light in a very dark place. But there's some hope. So I wanted to show you a few pictures of those things to let you know that on Sundays normally we have about we have about 15 people who are there in attendance. Sometimes there's more there than there is in Itaewon Bible Chapel. Now it is true that some of them are there because they have lunch afterwards. And I don't say that to disparage them. They're hungry. And if there's an opportunity to have something to eat and we can share the gospel as well, well, we do that. Anyways, this uh, is one of the first goats that we that we bought for Rodell, uh, and they've just recently had kids. We bought three goats all together, and what I didn't know, and what Rodell didn't know, was that uh, family goats, for instance, uh, the papa goat can't mate with one of his offspring. And so we didn't know this, and so this happened, and several of the kids that were born immediately within a few days had died. We didn't know this. So what Rodell did is he, he asked, and somebody told him, well, you need a billy goat from another herd. And so they brought in this billy goat, and now the goats are having kids. So, so we started off with three. We have five now. So it's increasing. So on the land, uh, those two acres that is there, uh, he's doing some work uh, with these goats. And I know this may not sound exciting to you, but can you imagine to a guy who's never had anything in his whole life, now he has a handful of chickens, some goats, two acres of land. And now people are kind of looking up to Rodell a little bit. And see, if if we can create some sort of hope along with the gospel, don't don't hear me say something I'm not saying. The gospel is important. But when people are starving and people are hungry and they have, you know, it's kind of hard to keep their interest. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's just true. You know, and majority of them are very satisfied with Roman Catholicism. They've, they've heard it all. They know it all. And so when the gospel comes in, they're, they're intrigued. They're challenged. But it may seem to them like every other organization that comes in you know, they're kind of the hit and run kind of a thing. They stop in, they share the gospel, then they hit the road and they're gone. But uh, Yoli and I are hoping that we can make some kind of an impression there and that uh, not only will we be able to Zoom, but from time to time uh, we'll be able to travel there and support them as well in person. Right now it's very difficult because of uh, the, the the situation. So anyways, a few pictures of those goats, and uh, here's the other color goat that we have. We have a white one and two brown ones, and and so the real effort is not to get goats and chickens. I think you understand that uh, the goats and chickens are not, are not the primary objective. What is the primary objective are the people there that God loves and that we want to reach with the gospel. So some of the things that happened in the Philippines, you know, this is all... Rodell has built all of these things on this property. And, you know, the, the first straw-looking thing or thatch roof-looking thing that uh, Rodell put on the property, he was actually staying there to make sure nobody came and stole his chickens. He was actually living there. Then a typhoon came along, and it blew down his house where he was actually living. And he said, I'm not going to rebuild that house, but I'm going to put a house on the property where we're at. And so we helped Rodell build uh, a house. Now, there's no windows in the house, but there is a roof. And uh, these 
uh, precious children. I, I don't know, you know, when, when you go to the Philippines, the one thing you, that is immediately noticeable is all the children. Children everywhere. One missionary brother there told me, he said, Tim, in the Philippines, they don't have family planning. They have family planting. And it truly is. There are, there are so many children there. And, uh, and I just think they're all adorable. Uh, this little girl's name is, uh, Re- Rebecca. They call her princess, uh, because I guess that's the way she acts. But she, when she was about one year old, her mother, to make money, uh, took a contract to go to, I think it was UAE, to be a uh, housekeeper in the United Arab Emirates. And it was a three-year contract. So now she's back. And so this little girl who hasn't seen her mother in about three years is living with her grandmother. And she sees her mother and she says, I don't like that lady. Don't let that lady talk to me. And her mother was devastated, you know, because she's making this incredible sacrifice for her daughter, but her her daughter doesn't even know her now. And, you know, this is the kind of, you know, I say this because sometimes in the U.S. we're, we, uh, we've got a great country. We really do. And uh, it's a land of plenty, you know. Uh, Not all countries are like that. And so uh, here's a young woman who has uh, no, no way to really keep her family you know, in uh, uh, fed and is willing to sign this contract and then the things that she sacrifices at the same time. Anyways, I just think that those things are somewhat tragic. And, uh, and it's important, I think, for us to, I guess, I heard our brother say today, we need to be more thankful. You know, sometimes when you got a full stomach and you really don't have a lot of worries, you don't have a lot of concerns, you don't have a lot of what-ifs and what-ifs and what-ifs, that, that we can become very complacent, you know, not, not truly grateful and uh, not truly thankful. And I think it's important that we remain thankful, uh, regardless of our circumstances, whether health or whatever it is, to be, to be thankful, because no matter how difficult a time we're having it, there are some who are having a much more difficult time uh oh i'm sorry about this picture it didn't come out quite right but these are two young ladies uh sophia is the young lady's face you can see very very clearly and uh uh who is right behind now Bea, i always thought was spelled b-e-l-l-a but that's because i don't know spanish and a lot of their language is really based on spanish it's it was uh how is it spelled v-e-a Bea. So I thought, well, how's that going? And then I met her cousin, Benus. B-E-N-U-S, yeah. So then I began to put it together. <laughs> ah, now I get it, right? So the spelling is completely different. Now these two kids, Yoli and I wanted to adopt. Uh, Sophia's mother has six children by six different husbands. Bea's mother, when Bea was just a baby, left for Saudi Arabia and she has been there. Uh, so Bea and her mother, really, they're strangers to one another. But I, I guess I see all that, and I want to share it with you. I, I guess just to tell you that that you know there's there's an opportunity there uh, in the Philippines. 
and uh, you know it's not it's not the you know there's no beaches there there's no resorts there there's no you know uh, mountain cabins where you can go for a break this is just farm country and these are just country people but you know I'm convinced that God loves them I'm convinced of it um, there are uh, his chickens in there and the, you see the little baby chicks those are this is interesting because Rodell had these the, these the, the eggs there and Yoli said eat some of the eggs and Rodell said no we're going we're gonna to wait and see how many hatch. And then, you know, in a little while, then we'll start eating the eggs. And I, I, I just, eat the eggs, dude. You know, eat the eggs. But um, he, he, he wants to see some success. Now, I show you this pig. This pig has no name. Uh, but the woman who I showed you earlier, the, the little baby whose mother went to UAE to take a job, is back now. And the reason she's back is because now her daughter is old enough to be christened. And this is uh, from the, the Roman Catholicism there. And so she wants to christen her baby. And so part of the christening is a big party. And they get together and feed everybody. And she had enough money to buy this pig. And so she buys this pig. Or, yeah, I guess she did buy it. And then the man told her, the pig is pregnant. So her heart was broken because she said, I can't kill a pregnant pig. There's a little baby inside. I can't, I can't do it. So she asked Yoli, if we would take the pregnant pig, if we would buy it from her so that she could get a pig that wasn't pregnant. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, the Lord uses these things to kind of teach us a lesson. I, I, think, I think I might have told you this before, but while Yoli and I were planning to come back for a medical procedure last year, my little dog got sick. And I said, he's old now. And I should probably be thinking it's more merciful to put him down, you know. And I, uh, I got to looking at that little dog, and he would look up at me. And I thought, you know, there is more distance between me and God than there is between me and this dog. And he's looking up to me. And in, although he can't say the words, those little eyes that he was looking up at me, save me. Help me. I couldn't, I couldn't dispatch him. So I saved him. Because if, if I'm, if I am sitting in the position of God for that little, little lovable animal, and there's more distance between me and God than there is between me and that animal, how is it that God views me when I look to Him and say, Save me, help me. And I've got tears streaming down my face. And I can't even get the words out sometimes that I want to express. And he's been so faithful. He's been so faithful. Sometimes even a little dog can, you know, teach us a lesson. And so uh, this pig, they, they didn't want to eat it because it was pregnant. But somebody who knew about pigs came along and said, this pig ain't pregnant. So unfortunately for that pig, it wasn't pregnant. It is nothing but pork chops, I imagine, by now. There's another thing about the Philippines that's interesting. We were there a couple of years ago, and uh, Yoli wanted to uh, have a little get-together with everybody. And sometimes when they do it, they buy a goat or they buy the pig or something. And so we bought a goat, and the, the man who was going to cook it, he went and got it, and then he brought it on. You know, the, you've seen the tricycles they have? They have the little cart on the side, 
and the, and the guy drives a motorcycle and people ride on the side. Well, they had this thing tied up in the little little carriage side of it. And uh, um, they brought the goat around to everybody so everybody could see the goat. And everybody knew they were going to be eating that goat the next day. And the poor little thing, he has no idea what's going to happen to him. You know, they're coming up and patting it, and, you know. And I think to myself, you know, we here in the U.S., you know, we, we become really removed from, from that kind of a thing, you know. When I go to Publix and get some hamburger, I very rarely think of the cow that provided that hamburger, you know. I get a chunk of pork. It doesn't even look like a pig, you know. I have no, it's, I don't associate it. But that's where they come from. I don't know if you knew that. I, if you haven't learned anything else today, that's at least one thing you've learned, is that that's where our pork and that's where our beef come from. Anyways, I, I want to take a look at a uh, uh, transition, if I could, from that brief uh, report of what's happening in the Philippines. And I've been told I go until 12, 15? What is, what is the time? 11.30. Oh, Okay. All right, I'm going to go until 12.15. You guys can leave anytime you want. All right. No, just, just kidding. Um, so in my, in my approach, as I was thinking about Hebrews, what, the, the, the framework by which I was looking at it was the government of God. And we mentioned it today in our breaking of bread about the Lord Jesus and how it was written on his cross, you know, the king of the Jews, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Spanish, no, <laughs> Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, right? And somebody had touched on it briefly, you know, the Hebrew is sort of the religious language, Latin is the government language, the, 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 the government of man, so to speak, the religion of man, the government of man, and Greek, the philosophy of man, and all of these in their totality, all of these all together were so deaf, dumb, and blind, like the skull, no sense whatsoever, killed (laughs) their creator. And enjoyed it. It's it's incredible. So, looking at, at the Bible... My father used to say something. He says, the Bible is a book about government. Now, I never really understood what he meant by that. I thought there's pieces here and there and everything. But I got to tell you, it is all about government. So there are two heads of two races, and I'm sure you well-educated folks here, you know exactly what I mean when I say that. You have the first head. His name was Adam. He was intended to be a sovereign. He was, that was his intention. That was his purpose, right? He was going to be God's representative on earth. God had given to him stewardship of the earth. He was essentially a king. He was a head. He had a government. But sadly, Adam submitted, gave himself, if you will, to Satan and lost his Headship. So this is how the whole world, the whole cosmos fell under the control of the wicked one because Adam, who was the head of the human race, forfeited his headship and gave it to Satan. Now there is a government that Satan is in charge of. 
But there's another head that came along. His name, Christ Jesus. He is the last Adam, so to speak, or the second man. But He is a head. And there's two governments. There is the government of Satan and the government of God. And the Bible is very clear. There are two governments that are constantly working in tension between one another. The government of Satan wants to control and govern man. He, he, he wants, wants it all. You remember what he said? I will ascend above the throne of God. I will, I will, I will. And, and this was his idea. And this is what he, what he did. And so when, when we look at the Bible from that perspective of, of government, when you look at the Bible from that perspective of two different governments, the government of God, the government of Satan, and they are diametrically opposed to one another. They are the absolute, What's another way we refer to the kingdom or the government of Satan? It is the kingdom of darkness. Jesus Christ is what? The light of the world. Colossians 1.13 tells us that we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear beloved Son. We, we are removed from one government and put under the headship of another government, the government of God. Yes? Are we we're on we're on track with one another? Anyway, so as we look at as we look at Hebrews, it's it it it, it is even more of a uh, he, he, Hebrews is, is even a more fuller uh, picture of that. So let me see. How do I approach this? Okay. The, the purpose, it seems to me, as I read Hebrews, is that the writer of Hebrews was trying, was, his intention was to help the Jews who had become wobbly in their relationship with the Lord Jesus. They got a little off because they were suffering persecution. Not the little bit of persecution that we're suffering. They were suffering persecution. Not only that, they began to realize that, you know, they didn't have a temple. They didn't have all of the pageantry of their, the religion, the sacrifices, the tabernacle the temple, rather. All of these things they didn't have anymore. And so what they had was this, this invisible Lord Jesus. And this was a problem for the Israelites from from their from their history you know sometimes i think that the 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 reason for idolatry is so that there's something the senses can can appreciate see the idol touch the idol smell the idol whatever it is and you know god is invisible who having not seen we love you know we we don't we don't see him necessarily right we don't see him and so sometimes I think the reason that even the, the Hebrews, Jews in their history, um, what did you say my time was? 11.30. So, yeah. So I don't know that I'll get beyond the uh, introduction here. But let me, let me just, let me just move a little, a little farther. Anyways, they became wobbly in their eye, in their, in, in their relationship to the Lord Jesus. They, 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 they were starting to depart and they were starting to 
you know, long after Moses and, and, and the law. Recently, I listened to an interview from a young lady who escaped from North Korea. And her name, I think, is Pak Yun-mi. And she was being interviewed. And one of the things this young lady said that was just amazing to me, she said, freedom is scary. She said, when I first escaped from North Korea, if somebody told me I could go back to North Korea and they would give me enough potatoes to live, even with all of the other wretchedness of the country, I would have been much happier going back there. Because here, where there's freedom, I have to make decisions every day. Over there, I didn't have to make a decision. They made my decisions for me. They told me what to wear. They told me what to think. They told me what to say. They told me what to eat. But here, I have to make a decision. She says, if I choose to be, uh, uh, you know, if I choose to be an artist, whether I'm successful or whether I fail, it's on me because I made the choice. She says, scary. Well, this sometimes, you know, Christianity is similar to that. We have been given liberty. Now, it's important for us not to abuse this liberty that we have. We kind of know what God wants from us, but He doesn't tell you every minute of the day what you should be doing this, don't eat this, don't eat that, eat this, don't eat that, don't wear this. You know, we make decisions. We make decisions because we have been set free. You know, we're no longer tied to the Mosaic Covenant, so to speak. Not that we as Gentiles ever were. But the point I'm making is that we, we are in, we are, we are in this kingdom. God's kingdom. Our headship is Christ. And therefore we have liberty. We should never abuse that liberty. But liberty or freedom is scary. You know, I think sometimes that's what the Jews were thinking. I've got to make, I've got to make all these decisions. I, I liked it before when everything was so clear cut and dried. You know, it's the difference between being an adult and a child, isn't it? Mom and dad tell you everything you have to do from the moment you wake up. But you know, if you're 18 years old and mom and dad still have to tell you to brush your teeth and comb your hair, there's a problem. Anyways. They were getting wobbly. And so what was written to them was this idea, this, this, this thought that Christ is better. Better than Moses. Better than everything that has come before. Christ is better. But they couldn't necessarily come to that conclusion on their own. And so Paul is writing, Christ is better. And essentially, what, what we see in Hebrews is that well, we see it all throughout the Bible, is that there are these things that are called thought models. Now, I stole that word from somebody you might know, David Gooding, because it really appealed to me when I heard it, because I understood what it meant. These things help us to think. It's what a thought model does, right? It helps us to think. And we can think in terms of the Bible as God showing us the micro and the macro, the little one and the big one. So as an example of that, we, we can think of Egypt as the world, right? We get, that's the micro. But the big, the macro, is the world that we live in. And so uh, 
there's also these other things that we can consider, the heavenly and the earthly. All of these things are being shown to us in uh, Hebrews. They're being taught to us and shown to us. So we also see the past, the present, and the future uh, examples. Now, what I mean by thought model is this little thing here called an atom, right? Uh, you know, all of these things. This is not really what an atom looks like. But it's a thought model. It helps us to conceive of what an atom consists of. And it's kind of, you know, I mean, you don't get much smaller than an atom. It's a micro, really micro. But isn't it interesting how similar an atom is to our solar system? You know, and, and sometimes I'm, I'm wondering whether they didn't use the solar system as an idea of somehow here are these things rolling around like this and going like this and everything and all that energy that's in it to, to say, aha, that's how it is. That's how it works. And so these thought models were provided. And so the tabernacle itself is like a thought model. It helps us see how we approach God, the, the one who is the head of our government. So much to say. So little time to say it. The world is that big macro thing that's out there, the cosmos, all of it that's happening all around us. And then for us, though, on the job, in our homes, in our neighborhood, right? there's, there's that sort of micro uh, world that's there. And so we can understand the bigger when we look at the smaller. And sometimes we can understand the smaller when we look at the bigger. However, the point that I'm trying to make is that within the Bible, there are these examples for us, these thought models for us that trigger thinking, that, that, that stimulate thinking on our part. You know, one of the things about being a believer, one of the things about knowing the Lord Jesus is the fact that you are illuminated. Your mind, is, now there's light. Where once there was darkness, now there's light. And so it causes you to have to think. You know, sometimes people don't like to think because thinking is hard work. But you know, God wants us to think. He doesn't want you to be an automaton. He doesn't want you to be a machine. He... he he wants you to be to have a, a, a mind that is capable of thinking and reasoning. Uh, Isaiah 118, what does it say? Come now, let us reason together. Sit down, let's talk. And, and God wants us to be able to use our minds. And so this is why this experience you have with Christ is, is an educational experience for you. It's a learning experience. This is why sometimes when you talk to somebody who is in the world, you wonder, how in the world can you possibly think that way? Well, they're still in darkness. Their mind hasn't been illuminated. Your mind has been illuminated. You are, to them, a foreigner. And they are, to you, a foreigner. You live in two different governments. You live in two different worlds. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. They are in the kingdom of darkness. How could they possibly understand you who are in the kingdom of light? But be very careful those of you who are in the light, don't live as though you are in darkness. Don't pick up their ideas. Don't pick up their attitudes. Don't pick up their ways. Ways of the world, they're diametrically opposed to anything uh, anything you should, you should believe being in uh, the kingdom of light. I'm just going to run through this real quick and then I'll, I'll finish up. I... I, I Perhaps could have planned this better. Uh, my apologies for that. I hope at least it has stimulated some thinking, at least. Christ is better than. 
In Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us he is better than the angels. And that, that takes some doing, right? I think a lot of times we think of angels as being those little fat babies with wings. That's not an angel. Angels are incredibly powerful beings. They're created beings. They're immortal. But Christ Jesus is better. Better than the angels. He's better than Moses. See, this was a challenge for them. They're thinking Moses is like the tippity, tippity, tippity top. You can't, you can't get beyond Moses. Yes, you can. Because no matter how great Moses was, he's just a man. He's better than the Levitical priest. And one of the reasons he's better than the Levitical priest is what? What happens to the Levitical priest once they reach a certain point in their life? What do they do? Like all of us do. One point, unless the Lord comes sooner. You die. Christ Jesus. He's going on forever. And I, this goes without saying, he is much better than any bull or any goat. One of the things, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought, is that in Hebrews chapter 9, one of the things it teaches us is that the blood of bulls and goats, it, it, it can uh, make somebody ceremonial. It can cleanse somebody who is ceremonially unclean. But it can never clean or cleanse or purify the conscience. And so with a guilty conscience, we can't serve God. We can't serve God. And this is one of the things about coming to Christ is that when we are in Christ and we understand what his sacrifice has done, when we understand the power, the efficacy of his blood, is we understand that our conscience is now clear. Our conscience is clean. And so no longer do we have to, in a sense, fear our conscience or live under a guilty conscience because Christ has forgiven us all our sins. And the psalmist in Psalm 103, he says this about our sins, as far as the east is from the west, so has God put your sins from you. And this, this, this is an incredible, don't let, what happens in our minds sometimes is, see, you know what a dirty, rotten scoundrel you are. You know, not, you think that other people don't know you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, but you know, in your heart you are no matter how you try to clean yourself up. Even though you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, God loves you. And he has put your sins, as you, as you come to Christ, and as you believe on Christ and you trust him, the power of his blood is able to loose us from our sins. The idea of loose, it means they're gone. That's another one of those songs we used to sing, at least I did. Gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. Praise God, my sins are gone. And this is because of Christ Jesus. We no longer ever need to say to ourselves, you know, uh, feel that the sting of a guilty conscience. Doesn't mean you won't sin. It doesn't mean you won't regret sinning. But when you sin, what are you supposed to do? First John chapter 1, verse what? 9. We are supposed to confess our sins. And what will God do? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All, all of it. Right. And so, in a sense, 
right? That's our, that's our duty, so to speak, is that when we sin, when, when we sense our, our conscience is defiled, confess it to God. And remember that he has paid the sin debt. We'll just, uh, I'll leave it there. I, I, there's much left unsaid, but I'll leave it there. And uh, if you have any questions, just ask Malcolm at the end of the meeting. <laughs> All right. Let's just close in prayer then. God, our Father, in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus, we approach thee, O God. We thank thee for thy loving kindness, thy tender mercy. We thank thee for thy long suffering. We thank thee, O God, our Father. Uh, you love us more than uh, we love ourselves even. We, we think, O God, our Father, uh, of what it meant for your Son, the Lord Jesus, to leave the glory of heaven, to come to this darkened uh, world where here, O God, our Father, the, the creator of all that is, uh, was taken by his own creature's hands and put upon a cross and, and, and there humiliated and, and, and died for, for us. It's hard to take it in, O oh God our Father, but we thank you for it. We thank you for the power of this, uh, sacrificial work of thy son, the Lord Jesus. What it accomplished, not only on, on our behalf, O oh God our Father, but on your behalf as well, because you loved Adam's race. And you made a way for those of us who were in Adam to be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear beloved Son. And we thank you for this, O God, our Father. Help us to live as those who have been enlightened. Help us to live as those whose minds have been illuminated. Help us, O God, our Father. We pray in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus, the one who washed us from our sins the one who died upon the cross of Calvary for us. We thank you in his precious name. Dismiss us now with thy blessing, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.